Jewish audio on Chabad.org. We now continue in chapter 3, verse 3. What we learned last week has, uh, of course, a lot to do with what we're going to learn today. And that sets the stage. Just to briefly recap, Haman is promoted to a position of supreme power. Everybody is bowing to Haman. And as we explained, part of that bowing is directly linked to idolatry. Haman wears imagery, idolatrous imagery on his clothing. So when you're bowing to him, you're honoring the deity that he claims to represent. And Haman even has, according to some opinions, this very same iconography or idolatrous imagery tattooed onto his body. So now he is an impersonation, an incarnation of some kind of deity and some kind of divine-like power. And Mordechai is not bowing. Mordechai is lo yichre, and as we explained last week, based on the writing of the Arachayim, he's not quiet about it. He's not hiding behind anybody's skirt. He's very direct, he's very straight, and he states his position. So Pasa Gimel tells us now that the servants of the king, not just any servants of the king, the servants of the king, in other words, they're not just people who are concerned with the king's honor or the people who are patriotic so they're worried about their king's orders being refused, but they are people who are Bashar HaMelech. They themselves are parliamentarians, if you will. So therefore, as the Targum Sheni renders it, they said to, to him, Amahiz Galdalta Aleinu, why do you think you're better than us? Anachno, he says, we are Korimu Mishtachavim, we are bowing, so if we are bowing, why aren't you bowing? So this, this, this does, doesn't seem to make any sense. Anon kroin v'sagodin kadam haman at loikorata kadamoi. We are bowing, and you don't have to bow? So it's not a question of patriotism. This is very personal for them. They feel, hey, it's not fair. You know, human nature doesn't like it. If I have to do something, you should have to do it too. I can't be in this myself. So they say to him, Madua ata over eight mitzvat hamelech. Why are you choosing to, or why do you think you are at liberty to disobey the instructions of the king? That's that's the question they pose to him. Now the Targum Sheni has a very very uh, colorful midrashic interpretation of this whole pasuk. He tells us that Mordechai responded to them and he said, "This is my faith." This is my religion. I bow only to God, he said. You bow to people, you bow to a mortal, that's fine. That's your problem. I'm not going to bow to somebody who's here today and gone tomorrow. My faith ordains that I only bow before Hashem. That's all. I worship the God, the eternal living God, and therefore that's the only way I am going to bow my head in submission. And the Targum tells us in great detail how he describes the power of God and the omnipotence of God as he talks about the cosmos and the universe and how everything is put in motion by God and constantly controlled by God. And therefore, Mordechai makes this very, very dramatic and compelling argument that he will not bow to anybody regardless of what kind of threats or what kind of orders that he may be under. Now these people were no fools. And they knew something about Jewish theology, 
and they even knew something about Jewish history. So they said to him, and again, this is only found in the Targum Sheni, although we find something similar in the Medrash Rabbah on the next Pasuk. But on Pasuk Gimel, there is very little Medrash, very little commentary. None of the traditional commentaries say anything. But the Targum Sheni has got an enormous amount of information on this Pasuk. They said, one second. You say that you won't bow down to anybody. But after all, your, gra- your grandfather did. Did he not? I said, what are you talking about? He said, well, he battled for Haman. For, for Esau, pardon me. And Esau is the progenitor of Haman. And you're a descendant of Yaakov. So if Yaakov Avinu, if your father Jacob could bow to his brother Esau, why can't you bow to Haman? That's the argument they make. Now listen to this. He says in response, hmm, you got the wrong guy. I, he says, ano mezarayis de binyamin. I am from the seed of Benjamin. And v'chad segid Yaakov kadam Esav, when Yaakov bowed before Esav, which by the way, I say just say was not a good thing. And it brought us much difficulty in the future. Future from then. But he says, Binyamin lo yilud hava. Benjamin wasn't born yet. So I'm from Binyamin. And I'm from the part of the Jewish people that doesn't have the blemish of Yaakov's previous bowing. And I've never bowed to anybody. My ancestry has never bowed to anybody. And I'm not going to bow to anybody today. And he goes on to Tagumedus and says, that we believe, says Binyamin, says Mordechai, that Hashem was the master of the universe. That Hashem prevented Binyamin from being born until after this event so that there should be some Jews who are not going to bow. And I'm that Jew. And therefore, there's nothing that's going to change. And Mordechai points out very interestingly that the Beis HaMikdash, in which we did prostrate ourselves before Hashem, in defiance of the ethos of the time, because everybody used to bow to the sun. The sun god was the most powerful of all gods. The sun is still the most powerful of constellations. That's why Sunday, for many faith people, is still the big day. That's why it was in pagan times. Sunday was always the major day. And worshipping the sun, they would bow to the east in the morning and bow to the west in the evening, but primarily in the morning. Where is the Kodesh HaKadoshim? How is the Beis HaMikdash built? With the Holy of Holies on the west side. So everybody would be bowing to the sun, and we turn our back on the sun, and we'd bow our heads to Hashem, in defiance of what everybody else was doing. So Mordechai says, it's in my territory, the territory of the of Shevet bin Yamin, that the Beis HaMikdash gets built. So you see, the Shechina, and the place where Jewish people bow to Hashem, is connected to Binyamin. And Mordechai says further, according to the Targum Sheni, you should know that the base of Migdash is the place that everybody in the world will come to bow before Hashem. As it says, that all peoples will come to worship Hashem. And therefore he says, I am not going to bow before Haman, the enemy of the Jewish people. So this gives us a beautiful perspective of the sense of destiny, the sense of history that Mordechai felt that he was a carrier of a glorious future and an amazing past. Most importantly, he felt that he was a representative of Am Yisrael, that Hashem had chosen at this time specifically 
from Shevet bin Yamin. So he said, I'm not bowing my head. Forget about it. Now, they, they didn't let go. They weren't very happy with this answer. So they kept badgering him about it. Pasuk Dalad, the first, fourth verse says, Vayi ka'amram elav yoyim yoyim. It's actually, we, it's written ka'amram. We're supposed to, we're, we read it bi'amram. And they were saying, they were saying to him, you know, day after day. They, they, they kept trying to wear him down. They said, come on, this is ridiculous. You're really not going to bow? Everybody's doing this. You can't uh, be defiant. The pressure kept mounting. Does that sound familiar? This is amazing that the Prime Minister of Israel's name is Binyamin. The pressure is mounting. Every single day, the pressure is mounting. And they say to him every day, doesn't listen. So I'm, I'm not bowing my head. doesn't matter. And this happens until it reaches Haman himself. At some point, they told it to Haman himself. Lira is to see would Mordechai really stand by his convictions? Now that Haman finds out, now that you're going to come face to face with the enemy, will you still have that inner metal? You still have the courage. Kihigidlahem, because they, he, they, had, he had, he had, they had told him, Asher Yehudi, that this is a Yehudi. He's a Jew. They told that to Haman. Now this is replete with all kinds of hidden messages over here. The first hidden message is actually in the regular Targum. Funny enough, the Targum Sheni here has Nothing to say. Just very exact translation. Previous Targum has like three paragraphs. Just basic translation. But the regular Targum adds something very interesting. He says, they told him, Al-Dahava Yehudi, that he's a Yehudi. And the Targum adds the words, the Yehudoi le'falchen v'le'gochen And the Jews won't bow and won't prostrate themselves before him. So it's not just, that's in the Targum explaining why it says, they told him that he is a Jew. Because they told him. What's the because? Because he is a Jew. That's the reason that he's not bowing. As, as Rashi says, they wanted to see Hayamdu Divrei Mardachai. Mardachai said, who was saying, He's not going to give in. He's not going to cave into the pressure forever. Why? Because he said, this is, I says, who I am. Kiu Yehudi. And I can't worship or show homage to any other deity or God. So I only worship the God creator of heaven and earth. Nothing to talk about. So they said, really? Well, let, let's see about this. As the Ibn says it, It's forbidden for me. You ask me to do something which is forbidden. You ask me to violate my basic religious principles. I can't do that. Now, of course, you may ask the question. And the Ibn asked the question for you. Yesh lisho. Why did Mordechai put himself in danger? Why didn't he simply retire? Why didn't he disappear? And not only put himself in danger, put yourself in danger, it's, it's, it's already not good. But Hichnis, Kol Yisrael, he put everybody in danger. You Knows there's this whole business now of vaccination. People saying, it's my personal choice. And those who are arguing back say, well, it's not your choice to make my kids sick. So I saw something funny on Facebook. Somebody put up, um, taking the brakes off your car is not a personal choice. <laughs> Maybe Mordechai says, I-, I don't care, I'll put myself in danger. You may be able to put yourself in danger, but who gave it the right to put everybody in danger? And you see actually, who does Haman want to take out his, his anger on? All the Jewish people. So who gave Mordechai the right to do that? Hoyeroi, 
Ibn Ezra says it would have been appropriate, suitable, Yidaber Esther, let him speak to the queen. Let him get somehow fired or, or, or laid off from, from being in the Senate. But Liyachs is Haman. Don't, don't, don't. In his face. Don't incite the guy. Don't enrage this, this crazy man. Because he saw that the hour favored him. And this is a concept, a Torah concept, that sometimes a person is very wicked and very bad, has mazel. And the Gemara says, when you see a Russia, the hour favors him, don't start up with him. Stay out of his way. So Merach is a Torah Jew, and he knows he's a Russia, no question about it. Stay away. Why, why did you have to dig your heels in? So the Ibn Ezra says, the answer is, you didn't get retired. And you couldn't elect to retire. When the king appointed you in a position, you were stuck. It wasn't a choice. He had no choice. He had to be there. Once you're appointed, there's no way out. So since there's no way out, it means kim yasur belay mitzvah samelech. He's going to go without the king's permission. And if that happens, then you're, you're finished. This is a, a monarchy, a maniac. He takes your head off. So Mordechai had no choice. Having no choice... He has no choice but to face Haman and say, I am a Jew, I will not bow, and there's nothing to negotiate about. The Orachayim in his commentary says something truly fascinating here. He says, what does it mean they came and they told Haman? First of all, it says they, they were talking to him. Sounds like this like negotiations or, or conversation or pressure that went on for a while. Every day, they say, Mar you're still not bowing. Come on, enough already. Mardachayim says, what, was Haman blind? Did he not see that Mardachayim is not bowing? And what is the point anyway? Was it some kind of dare, a game? They wanted to see, Lirais Hayamdu Divrei Mardachayim. Will Mardachayim be victorious? Over who? Over the king? How is Mordechai going to be victorious over the king? The king said bow. Mordechai said no. So what do you, maybe Mordechai is going to win. Maybe he'll win his, his, his execution. That's what he'll win. He can't win against the king. What is that? It's no contest here. What were they waiting to see? The whole puzzle doesn't make sense. They keep putting pressure and this is a game, a game of wills. Who's going to win? The king of the land or a Jew who happens to be sitting in the Senate? And what's the key? Because. What's the because, says Darachai? <laughs> What's the because? Because they told him he's a Jew. What kind of reason is that? Yes, other questions also. And this is how the Arachayim explains the Pasuk. He answers these questions, but he gives us a beautiful new appreciation of Pasuk Dal. What exactly is the Megillah telling us? We already have discussed this, that Haman was wearing raiments that were emblazoned or embroidered with a god, an image, an idol, some kind of graven image that, that everybody was worshipping. And because of this, Mardachai said, I can't bow. And every time they came to him and said, you have to bow, we're all bowing. And he said, this is my religion. Please don't ask me to violate my basic principles. This is my faith. And it, since Jews are prohibited, the Orachayim says something very interesting. There's no reason, no reason to suggest that in ancient Persia there was no freedom of religion. We don't find any discussion of no freedom of religion. The Jewish people had been living in Persia now for quite some time. 
into the Persian Empire. In the predecessor of the Persian Empire, the Babylonian Empire, there was persecution of the Jewish people. And Nebuchadnezzar tried to force them to worship idols and to abandon Judaism. We don't find any such story in the time of the Megillah, which is extremely important for us to understand because people say, oh, that's history. You know, history, now we live in a free world. Now we live in a new world. In this new world, we have freedom. Guess what? In the Persian Empire, they also had freedom. In the United States of Persia, which had an enormous amount of provinces, there were many cultures. And there were many different ways of life. And nobody was coerced to leave their way of life behind and adopt somebody else's. That was in Bukhadnezzar's anti-Semitism. This comes along later in the time of Hanukkah, perhaps. At this time, everybody's allowed to worship whichever God they want. They want to worship the God of Israel. Worship the God of Israel. Who cares? So if somebody said, hey, freedom of religion. Oh, freedom of religion. Okay, that's another story. We can't ask you to violate your religious beliefs. We saw this earlier when Achashverosh brought the Jewish people in to the grand feast. What did he feed them? Kosher food. Why did he give them kosher food? He said, freedom of religion. Everybody can do as he or she pleases. I'm not here to coerce anybody. Just partake. Be a, don't be a bystander. Involve yourself in, 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 in the rich culture of, of, of our empire. So therefore, the, 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 the assumption was that Mordechai would be safe by claiming, it's my religion. Can't do this. But they weren't sure if that's why. They said, yeah, 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 yeah. You say it's religion. But really, you're just a defiant Jew. You just don't want to accept him. You don't like, it's a personal thing with you. You're just having a personal fight. You're just locking horns with Haman. You, you guys have history. They actually did have history. That, that's all this is. And they kept saying to him, come on, Mordechai. That, is that really why you're not bowing? Are you really over-religiously? Was it business that he has some kind of icon on his cape? Is that really what it's about? And Mordechai said, yeah, that, that's what it's about. So what did they do? They went to Haman and said, Haman, you know, this, this Jew doesn't bow. Haman said, yeah, I know that Jew doesn't bow. He said, you know, he says it's religious freedom. He says it's because of your cape or your hat or whatever it is that you're wearing. So, so they said, hmm, my hat. We're going to come without the jacket this time. So Haman leaves off his necklace or hat or his jacket and he comes without the idol to see and to prove is Mordechai really so religious or is this just politics, personal enmity or some kind of other issue? This is, this is the question. And therefore, the Archaim says in Rishon Letzion what he did is they made the big litmus test. He said, the, the reason is because you're a Jew? Okay, he said, fine. I'll take off Bahasir Haman Handriti Milfanov. Haman takes off the idol, but Rahim says Milfanov. Openly. Openly. But Mordechai doesn't bow. And why doesn't Mordechai bow? Rahim says, Vatam Mordechai. Shishisa Baatsme Ubaamasem Asakelavazel. Why did Mordechai incite this crazy dog? Why did Mordechai not just bow his head at that point? When he saw him taking the idol off, says the Arachayim mitam the choshash shemahoisa by the zara tmuna bechekei. He thought, yeah, he took off his necklace on the outside. I bet you he's got it in the inside. He took his jacket off, but it's on a shirt. Or, as we learned, it's actually it's on his skin because he's tattooed with it now. So at the end of the day, in his mind, he represents a God. He thinks he's a God. doesn't make a difference if the external display is not there. He continues to believe he's a God. And Mordechai says, if I bow to him, I'm not bowing to a man who's power-crazed. 
and bowing to a man who thinks he's God. And bowing to a person who thinks he's a demigod or represents some kind of divine power and authority. And that, as a Jew, I cannot a good conscience do. So now the Pasuk really makes sense. Now we see the plot is thickening. Now we see how they keep pressuring him. And what's everybody saying? Come on, don't be silly. You know, it's, it's, not, it's not a big deal. The, the Vilna Garden, in his commentary, he says, what does he mean? They said, Haman, did you notice? You see, Baruchai is not bowing. Did you notice that? Maybe, maybe Haman didn't see. Now, Arachayim doesn't seem to think that's possible. How did Haman not see? But the, 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 the Buddha Agra says, no, no, maybe he was such an arrogant, conceited person. His nose up in the air. He didn't even notice anything. Yeah, he shook people's hands. He didn't know whose hands he was shaking. He rolled beneath his dignity. A friend of mine who met different presidents of the United States told me that a certain president of the United States, when you met him, you thought you were the center of the universe. That he wanted you to think you were the center of the universe. He says, now the president, when you meet him, he wants you to know he's the center of the universe. <laughs> so that's his personal feeling. He's talking about Clinton Obama, by the way. That's the <laughs> he said, Clinton's a faker, but he made you feel like you were the... It's all about you. <laughs> anyway. So, so what, is, what is the key, key higid lahem? And what is the key higid lahem show Yehudi? If you read the argument of the Targum Shemi, it wasn't Kihu Yehudi, it was Kihu Binyamini. Because he's from Binyamin. They said, oh yeah, your father Jacob bowed to Esav. He also was a demigod in his head. So, Mordechai said, no, no, I'm from Binyamin. So well, according to the Targum Shemi, it should have said Kihu Yehudi. Oh, says so the Gra, no. But he's called Yehudi, this is the famous Gemara Megillah. This is Gemara Megillah on Dafyud Gimel that makes a statement. That's a statement that's very important for understanding the Megillah, but it's also very important for understanding why we are called the Jewish people today. And the first time we're called the Jewish people is the time of Purim. We're always called Bnei Yisrael. We're called Israel. House of Jacob, sons of Israel. The first time we're called Jewish, Yehudi, not just for the tribe of Yehuda, but for any tribe. Which is, which is really interesting because the, um, Megillah identifies Mordechai as Ish Yemini. What does Ish Yemini mean? The man on the right. But really, what is that? It alludes to his, 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 his paternal lineage, which is Binyamin. And we hear in the Targum Sheni, the Medrash telling us that when they said to him, bow, he said, no, I won't bow because the only Jew who didn't bow was Binyamin. So there's such an emphasis on his Binyamin lineage. Why is Hekihu Yehudi? So the Gemara says, Kol hakofer zara, anybody who denies, who rules out homage to idols, to false gods, Nikra Yehudi. He's called a Yehudi. And that has always been the story of the Jewish people. Even when we got assimilated. Even when we did all kinds of things. What was the one place we run line we wouldn't cross? We refused to leave our faith behind. And tragically, over the, over the ages, so many Jews have been killed by all different faith systems because they refuse to abandon Jew, their Jewishness. This is this idea of, of refuse to embrace another God. And that's why he hated him. The only God says something very interesting. He said, Ein sinna kesinas hadas. Hadat. There is no hate like hatred of religion. When you hate faith, 
you hate somebody's faith, it's a burning hatred. And that's an unbelievable the hatred that knows absolutely no bounds. Now, interestingly enough, we talked about Binyamin, right? But the, the Medesh, Esther Abba, says something even more fascinating. Binyamin, of course, was the younger child of Rachel, Mother Rachel. And who was Binyamin's brother? Yosef. So Yosef has a similar kind of pasuk about his challenge, which seems to cast Mordechai in a role or in a situation that was very difficult and very, very, very compelling. Or in other words, I should say, probably the wrong word, it was, it was very seductive. He almost gave in. The pressure was unbelievable. And, when, and what is this in history? Where do we find the same words? Where do we see the words of Ka'amram Yom Yom? We find this with regard to Yosef, where Potiphar's wife is trying to seduce him. Medrash says, Vayihi Kedabra El Yosef Yom Yom. Same thing. In other words, the seduction of Potiphar's wife and the powerful seduction of just giving in and bowing your head in submission are compared, they're put together. And both are from Rachel, who is a Keret Habayat of Yaakov Avinu. So we see further non-Yehuda lineage. This is all Binyama lineage or Rachel lineage. Right? It's all connected to, to the other family, so to speak. Ah, but the point is, Yehudi, because of what a Yehudi is. And that's why it says here, Ka'am Ramel of Yom Yom, the Medrash also says that here, the Medrash Abba on Pasuk Dalad talks about what the Paschegen, what the, what the Targum Sheni talks about in the Pasuk Gimel. He says, we said, Ki hu Yehudi. What did they tell him? Vayegidu Haman. What did they tell Haman? They told Haman Mordechai's argument. They said, they said to Haman, or they said back and forth, his grandfather bowed to your grandfather, Yaakov, Jacob bowed to Esau. He said, yeah, as it says, V'achakach nigash Rachel, Yosef v'Rachel, V'yishtachavu, Yosef and Rachel, and they bowed too. And he responded to them, Aha, but a dialin nerled binyamin. Binyamin wasn't born yet. Rachel may have bowed, Yosef may have bowed, I'm not going to bow. Now as we see here, an amazing, a murder thing, that a, a yid, a, a, a Jewish man, a woman, when they be in a situation, when they have a tremendous obstacle, they get koyach from ancestry. It's all these generations back. Binyamin didn't bow to Esav, that's when Mordechai gets the strength not to bow to Haman today. Amazing concept. And you see, you see it right here in front of you in, in the Megillah, which is a book we have to read as relevant in, in our lives. Like the famous teaching of the Baal Shem Tov, which I said, and I'm going to keep saying because it's, it's, so, it's extraordinary. Baal Shem Tov said, the Mishnah says, HaKareya Megillah if you read the Megillah, Lemafreya backwards, Layatza. Backwards literally means you read chapter 3 before you read chapter 1, and then you go to chapter 8. Layatza, because the whole story, in order to appreciate the miracle of Hashem, you have to lay it out, play by play, frame by frame, in order. In order to appreciate that Hashem did a miracle for us. But the Baal Shem Tev interprets that on a deeper level. He says, if you read the Megillah as Lemafreya, as a once upon a time fairy tale, Layatza, you missed the whole point of Purim. The whole point of Purim is this is now, this is us. We're, we're right in here. Sometimes we're Mordechai, sometimes we're Esther, sometimes we're the Jewish people who are surrounding them. But this is the point. Everything that happened to them happens to us. And our job is to internalize that message and to be able to learn from their courage and, and, from, and from their dedication to Hashem. Okay, 
So that's Pasuk Dalit. From here we go to Pasuk Hay. Pasuk Hay is going to tell us something. What, how does he respond? How does he respond? When he sees that Mordechai refuses to bow his head in submission. Vayar Haman ki Mordechai And Haman saw, ah, he's not bowing. He's not bowing. You know, the Malbim points out, they didn't tell this to, to Haman as kind of to tattle on Mordechai. Say, hey, look, Haman, he's not bowing. They really didn't believe Mordechai. They didn't believe it was religious conviction. They really thought this was political expediency. And they said to Haman, so Haman would, as the Archaim says, take off his vestiges. He wasn't wearing the idolatrous clothing. And everybody's watching now. And Haman is watching now. And Haman sees Mordechai is not bowing. And he's not giving in. Haman was filled with rage. When he saw that Mordechai refuses to bow, he was fuming. Fuming to the point, fuming to the point that Vayivez Mordechai. He was so enraged, he didn't just want to exact payment from Mordechai. He wanted, ultimately, to destroy his entire people, as we'll talk in a moment. But before we go on to verse uh, 6, I want to focus for a moment on a detail of verse 5, which is very, very easy to gloss over. Before it says that they wanted to see, Vayigidu Haman Lirois, they said it to Haman to see, and then, Vayar Haman, so Haman saw so really, what, what difference is, okay, Haman saw Haman, didn't see, big deal. But the Medrash doesn't gloss over that. The Medrash says, Vayar Haman, Haman saw, Techeshachna eneim shal mirois. The Medrash Rabbah says, the eyes of the wicked are dimmed, are darkened, and they're not able to see. It stops them from seeing. In other words, their dark sight, their clouded vision, brings them down into the Sha'ol, into the into, into Gehenim. And you see that Haman looked that way, that's why everything went wrong, which is very hard to understand, like, because Haman looked a certain way. Haman simply saw the facts. Everybody saw well, that's the point of the Medrash. What does it mean, Vayar Haman? What does it mean that, that Haman saw? What, is, what, what really is the emphasis over here? So the Dubna Magid has a beautiful piece about this. And he says that the truth is that every single human being is endowed with the ability to see goodness. It's a natural thing. He says, Sadiqim retain it. Most of us, we don't use it, so we lose it. So Sadiqim, he says, don't have to create a new vision. They simply maintain the innocence of childhood. You know, when you're a child, you look at everything in an innocent way. The older we get, the more jaded we get. Sadiqim are able to retain that. He says, Haman is the extreme example of a person who had destroyed any positive vision in his eyes. So all he saw was negative. All he saw, everything was an offense to him. If the wind was blowing, somebody was out there to get him. So in other words, so Haman looked at Mordechai, he looked, he didn't just look at Mordechai, it wasn't just Mordechai offending him. All of a sudden, it was the whole Jewish people offending him, because one man wouldn't bow to him. That's the nature of, 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 of an evil person. And, and therefore, when a person allows their 
their, their animal soul and their Yetzirah to take, the, take control, the more that you're in control of the Yetzirah, the more the Yetzirah continues to darken your sight until there's no light left. You can't see anything for what it really is. Your sight becomes totally subjective and twisted, but the perversion, of course, is the very negative way. And this is the vision of Haman, and that's why Haman was unable to see, didn't have any clarity whatsoever. He couldn't see for a moment. Maybe Mordechai has religious convictions. Maybe Mordechai has a reason. Maybe you should sit down and talk to him, find out what... No, no, Haman couldn't see anything. It's all about Haman. And he was defying Haman. And if you defy me, it's not just you. It's your nation, it's your people, it's everybody. The whole world will come crashing down, but nobody will defy Haman. So that's the Vayar Haman. That's how that we understand the Medrash, the, the, of, of, of the notion of Haman seeing and Haman seeing what he saw, and that explains why he became filled with rage. Not a big deal, really. Everybody's bowing down to you. So one, one loser doesn't bow down to you. Is that a reason to fly into a rage? If you're Haman, the answer is yes. Because that's, that's a Hamanic way of looking at things. And so, Vayivez Biyenov. For Haman, the word Vayivez is created, uh, connected, pardon me, to the Hebrew word of Bizayon. Bizayon means it's like a shame, like, like scorn, derision. In Yiddish, Abizoyon. Abizoyon. So, so, you know, in, in modern English, there's a word which is called an infradig. Infradig, it's called. It's, it's like one of these colloquialisms. It, it means something which is beneath my dignity. That's just like, eh, it's like, I'm not going to do that. That's, be, that's beneath my dignity. I would never. So, so, and the more people get conceited, the more they have these infradigs. I'll never do that. I'll never be caught. Haman says, it's beneath my dignity to go after one man. I don't go destroying one person. I'm a mass murderer. If I'm going to get angry, I'm going to destroy everybody. I'm going to, this makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? So it's, it's like demeaning in his eyes. I'm going to start up with Mordechai. What are we, two equals over here? I'm Haman. I'm like Mamish. You know, the rising sun. I'm God himself. I, I'm going to get into a fight, tangle horn. No, he says, I can't just fight with the Mordechai. I can't just have Mordechai killed. Because they told him the nation of Mordechai. So I said, oh, Mordechai is one of those Jews. Right, it's the Jews I hate. It's not just Mordechai. I hate them all. And therefore, Vayivakesh Haman, what does Haman seek? Haman seeks to destroy Lahashmid Eskola Yehudim. Because of one Jew who wouldn't bow. Haman all of a sudden says, it's not a Jew, it's a nation, it's a people. I have to get rid of all the Jews. I want to destroy all of the Jewish people who is called Am Mordechai, the nation of Mordechai. And this is very, very important to focus on this. Because, because ultimately, how does he see every Jew? Sometimes the wicked, with their, their evil sight, are able to reveal amazing things to us. He sees deep down every Yid's of Mordechai. He knows it. He says, nah, nah, nah. I know those Jews who say they're bowing. They're really not bowing. They're really deep down, I'm Mordechai, they're the nation of Mordechai. By Yivake Shaman, Haman therefore seeks out, Lahashmid is Kola Yehudim, Ashabamachus Achashvedish. If they're under my control, and they're under our kingdom, I will destroy anybody under the rule of Achashverosh. And again, the Megillah emphasizes Am Mordechai, the nation of Mordechai. All right, so there's, a, there's really a, there's a lot to, to think about over here. Now, first of all, the Medrash draws us to, again, that historical context. When was the last time the word Vayivez showed up? Here it says Vayivez Be'enov. When, when do we have this idea of Vayivez? 
when Esav sold the birthright to Yaakov. It says, Esav scorned the firstborn righteous. <laughs> I don't need spirituality. I don't need Jewish this or God. What do I need this for? He says, this is for Jews. This is not for me. He scorned. So the scorn of Esav now ultimately devolves into the scorn of the Jewish people in general. Esav scorned Jewish values. Haman scorned and hated the Jewish people itself. Because really, they're not mutually exclusive. For even when a Jew is divorced from Jewish values, deep down he is a carrier of the Torah, he's a carrier of the Emet. And the Russia, the wicked, evil Haman, he knows that. He senses that. So this is, this is how, how, how the Medrash uh, explains or gives us a little bit of a, a connection. He doesn't just want to start up with Mordechai. And he, 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 first he says, baby, I'll just Mordechai. Then he said to himself, Mordechai. So the Gemara says, he said, that's, that's not, that's not, that's not undignified. So he said, well, let, let me, let me, let me start all, kill all the rabbis. They said, eh, rabbis? Because of rabbis. Rabbis are just rabbis because of the Jews. Rabbis of the Jews. In that case, he's going to have to kill all the Jews. And the Gemara actually goes through the thought process of how Haman decided that he wanted to destroy everybody. Now this, this, this is a little bit hard to understand. How, how does this unfold so quickly? From, from not liking Mordechai because he didn't bow to him and then he thought maybe he has a, a religious reason and then he thinks now he doesn't have a religious reason so it's personal and all of a sudden from a personal fight this becomes the hatred of a nation and it becomes the direct catalyst to, to genocide of the Jewish people. How did this unfold so quickly? Where, where did this come from? So there's, there's two very, very important things we have to focus on. And one is understanding the irrationality of Haman. And the second is, what is it that he really hates? So here, we really have to go to Chassidus. There's no, the, cl- the classic commentaries don't really speak much about this at all. Here's a snippet of a Mimer that the Rebbe once said. Mimer written in the early years, 1955, on Purim. The Rebbe talked about this idea of a Jew's super rational connection to Hashem. And there's this, this notion that there's zel umad zeh. Everything has a counterweight. To use a, a lousy metaphor, a yin and a yang. So it's always, always, always two sides to every, to, to every coin. So we have this ideal, this Jewish ideal that I am a Jew and nobody can take that away from me. You know, Daniel Pearl, last seconds of his life, left the Jewish people, married out of faith, it didn't matter, I am a Jew. And, uh, you know, Mayor Ed Koch, who incredibly died on the same day as Daniel Pearl, years later, what, what did he leave to be inscribed on his tombstone? I am a Jew, Daniel Pearl. This is a guy who didn't exactly reflect Jewish values. I know Jewish liberals and Democrats don't like hearing that, but, but that's at least my humble opinion, that he, he was very, very far from Jewish observance, very far from a life of Yiddishkeit. But when it was all over, he said, I'm a Jew. I'm a Jew. Does that really make sense? Should have said, I'm a human, I'm a person, I'm a Democrat, I'm a liberal, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a citizen of the world, which are all things that he said, by the way, over time, and things that he believed in. That was his ethos. It was like a faith to him. And yet, when it all came down to it, I am a Jew. That's not exactly rational. Let's just say that. That's not exactly, it wasn't predictable. That was not what they expected to be putting on his tombstone, but that was the instructions he left. So we have this idea of a Yid, that a Yid is devoted to Hashem in a way that it is transcendent of rhyme and reason. What's the Le'umazah? What's the polar opposite or the Yang of the Yiddish Ying? The Yang is Amalek. And Amalek 
is a chutzpah v'gaiva belitaga, which is actually an expression of the Gemara, the Gemara in Sanhedrin. And the Gemara, a tag, could be understood as like a crown, or sometimes a tag could be rhyme or reason, like a cantillation, of reading a word, the inflection of a word. So he said, this is a euphemism, it says, a malek has a chutzpah, a malek has an insolence, a malek has this arrogance, which makes no sense. It's, 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 not, it's unwarranted. What for? Why bother? As it says, that a malek was the one who decided to face the Jewish people and everybody's afraid of them. They're coming out of Mitzrayim, come across the Reed Sea. A malek comes all the way up from the area of Gaza, even north of that, travels all the way down into the Sinai Peninsula, a long journey just to attack the Jewish people. And there's a famous metaphor for this, that everybody was afraid of the Jewish people. It was like, it's metaphorized as a hot bath, and everybody was afraid to go into this boiling hot bath. And one wild, crazy guy went, and he jumped in, and he got burned. But once he jumped in, it was cooled off for everybody. So the Jewish people never recovered from the Amalek attack. We were attacked, we won, we never recovered. And this is what Amalek represents. And the Rebbe says in the Maimer, there's two kinds of gaiva, two kinds of arrogance. We have, for example, the arrogance... Like it says in the Pasuk of Yermio, Jeremiah, castigates people who are full of themselves. And he said, Let the wise person not be so impressed with his own wisdom. Let the wealthy person not be so impressed with their own affluence or their own wealth. In other words, don't think that you earned this on your own. It's not your wisdom. Hashem gave you wisdom. It's not your money. Hashem gave you money. So we tend to get very possessive of our successes. And we tend to attribute all of our achievements to our own ingenuity, our own hard work, which is a big mistake. And that's what the prophet, that's what Yirmiyo is railing against. He says, don't make that mistake. Don't think that you are the one who created all of this. But at least that's a gaiva, that's an arrogance that has, has some kind of basis, has, has some kind of footing. Why is he arrogant? He's arrogant because he's so smart. He's the smartest guy in the world. He's very arrogant. He's arrogant because he's so rich. He's arrogant because he's so charismatic. He's arrogant because he's so capable. This guy can throw a football further than everybody else. He's arrogant to throw a football. The other guy can zets a puck. He's arrogant about his puck. The other guy is the most beautiful, handsome, whatever. So in Hollywood, they say he's arrogant about that. Fine. She shouldn't be arrogant because the fact that he or she is handsome or beautiful is not their own thing and it's a gift from Hashem. And the fact that they can act well in a movie, so that's a reason to be arrogant. And the fact that you can jump up and down and run faster than a horse, so he's arrogant, Hashem gave. Okay. But you understand what they're arrogant about. They have, as they used to say in Yiddish, erhat mitvas. He has with what to be arrogant at least. You know, it's, it's not empty arrogance. And then we have the arrogance of Amalek. And the arrogance of Amalek is an arrogance that's empty. There's nothing. An empty suit. There's nothing there. You didn't accomplish anything. You didn't do anything. You're not even capable. What are you so arrogant about? But that's Amalek. Amalek's full of himself. Amalek is the chutzpah belitaga. Amalek is insolence that's baseless, reasonless, unearned. And that's the worst kind of klipa at all. Because the klipa, which is rational, a reasonable klipa, you can rationalize or reason with it. You come to a person who's very wealthy and say, look, don't be a fool. It's true, you made a few good business moves. You just as easily could have made the other move. You know that. You know that this is a mazel. Everybody has mazel. Well, I was lucky. Huh? Lucky, okay. So lucky, what does lucky mean? Like they say, coincidence, it's an 11-letter name for God. You happen to be there. Yeah. Okay, so you could talk to a person like that. Somebody, the person is arrogant, so what are you so arrogant about? He looks at you, what do you mean? I am, I am arrogant. Yeah, why? 
It's not to reason, because there is no reason for any of this. So since it's reasonless and it's baseless, and it's irrational, nothing is able to stand in its way. And that's how we should understand Haman. This is the psychoanalysis of the spiritual, but perhaps even, not only on a spiritual level, maybe even, 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 even on, a, on, a, on, a, on a, if you will, subconscious level. This was Haman's personality. He was an embodiment of a malik. And therefore, his arrogance was based on nothing. Hot air. But the kind of hot air, since it was based on nothing, there's no way to argue or remonstrate against it. There's no remedy for it. Now, once you look at Haman with this, from this perspective, you understand the story. Haman sees, Mordechai won't bow. Mordechai won't bow! Kill all the Jews. One plus one equals 97. How did that? How did you get to 97? It was just supposed to be two. No! No! Because Haman's not rational. So once the gaiva is mishuga, irrational, off the walls, then it all goes. The Rebbe also spoke about this 11 years later on Purim in another sikha. It says, the Rebbe said, what is, and the Rebbe here balances the pasuk. He says, what is the nekuda? What is the, the, the subtle point here? The, this, this, is, this is like a, like it's, it's point for point. Vayar, Haman sees, Ein Mordechai, Kareo Mishtachave, Mordechai refuses to bow. So what's the counterweight? Vayimali Haman Chema. Haman is filled, he's infuriated, he's filled with rage. And Vayivis Bein of Lishlechyat. So Mordechai's Layichad of Layishtachave is what causes or catalyzes Haman's irrational rage. So the Rebbe said, what is the Nekuda, what is the point of Mordechai le'yichre ve'le'yishtachave? What is the point of it? The point, he says, is like the Alter Rebbe says, it's in a letter that's brought down for the Friedrich Rebbe, it's mentioned in Hayyim Yim, that a Yid is Shema Yisrael. What does Shema Yisrael mean? That a Yid, not, they, not a Jew really wants, nor can really a Jew sever himself from his source. So you have Jews who do everything against, against Yiddishkeit, and then they come and say, I am the real Jew. I am... I am compelled by my, I am impelled by my Jewish instincts and I'm doing, I am the real Jew. Why do you have to say real Jew? Just so you don't care about being Jewish. They never say that. They argue with you that they, you know, the whole J Street paradigm. Sorry for being political. It's part of me. <laughs> the whole thing, right? J Street doesn't say we don't care. No, no, we're the ones who really care about Israel. We're boycotting Israel because, because of our love for Israel. We're forcing Israel to, to put itself into Auschwitz borders because we love Israel, because Israel is too delusional and too arrogant that doesn't have to make peace with its neighbors. Of course, that makes no sense, and that's a ridiculous argument, but don't confuse you with the facts. But they still, they never get up and say, I'm not a Jew. No, I am the peace-loving Jew. You're a suicide-loving Jew, my dear friend. You're not peace-loving. You may say, you, what you say makes no sense, at least not to me. But, this is a whole... There's a whole halach yelach out there in the Jewish world today, a whole movement in the Jewish world that flies in the face of basically every detail of what Torah says. It goes the opposite, takes the opposite road. Mamash the opposite street. They go in the exact opposite. But they do so very proudly and almost to their credit under a banner of Judaism. In other words, if they believed that this was un-Jewish, they wouldn't do it. It's, it's, it's very hard to fathom this for, you know, for people like me who are stuck in a certain reality and I can't see it any other way. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't think so. But the, the, the point is, it's fascinating that the people who are traveling the exact opposite, who represent everything other than what I think is right and holy and good, and they do it. B'Shem Hashem, they say. They say, no, no, no. I, I'm doing this because I'm a Jew. But that 
speaks to a very deep and profound element of Jewishness. And that is that the Yid, by his or her very intrinsic organic nature, cannot or will not sever their connection to God. They do everything against the Torah. But that's because the Torah needs to be re-engineered and the Torah was, some, was baloney. And all. Everything's baloney. But my Jewishness, that's not baloney. That's, that's real and that has to be preserved. So this is the Nikud of Yid. And, and you know what Haman, sometimes our, the greatest truth is in our enemies. The Rebbe said that Haman understood that every Jew is really a Mardachai. Even the Jew who is eating non-kosher food on Shabbat, on the plates, on the vessels of the base of Migdash, he doesn't think that he's being un-Jewish. He thinks he's being a patriot and he, that he's, he's, you know, doing tikkun alam or whatever other fancy terminology, mumbo-jumbo that he twists and turns to fit his, his, his ideology, twisted ideology. But ultimately, that's part of his le'yichr v'le'yishtachavah. And that's what Haman saw. So when Haman saw that Mordechai doesn't bow, he said, what is his reason for not bowing? I, I took the idol off. He claimed religious freedom. There's no religion over here. Because how, uh, so you're going to say, but yeah, but, but, but Mordechai's thinking you, you're wearing it on my shirt. How did he know that? How did, well, it wasn't so hard to guess. How did he know you had a tattoo all over your chest? Well, it wasn't so hard to guess. Everybody knew about your tattoo. Fine. But that's, Haman is not thinking like that. Haman sees down to the core essence, he says, a Jew is a Jew. Can't change him. By the way, every real anti-Semite, that's how they function. And the Rebbe actually mentioned, he very rarely used to mention Hitler, and that part he mentioned Hitler. And he said, Hitler, you machshmei, the Nazis, they went after the Jew. They said the Jew has a Jewish grandparent. He's not even halakhli Jewish, they don't care. They said the Jew is, you have to get rid of the Jew. He's a conscience. The Jew gave us a conscience. We have to destroy the conscience. He understood. His great-grandson of Haman, this evil, wicked progeny of Haman, this Amalek, understood what his predecessor understood. The same thing that our enemies understand today. They claim they want a piece of land. They, can, they want to destroy the Jewish people. Hezbollah is very open. They say it openly. He thinks he's very happy the Jews came together in one place. He shouldn't have to hunt them down. That's what he says openly. That's what this Hitler, this Mamza, Yomach Shemay, that's what he says openly. He says he's glad they're in Israel so he can find them in one place. So this is what our enemies are saying. And that's what our enemies are seeing. They see within a yid, a yid ultimately represents bitl before HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Like the Alter Rebbe says in Tanya, that you can have a person who does everything wrong. He doesn't play by the Torah books at all. But, when it comes to the existential question, am I or am I not a Jew? To be or not to be? What does he say? Well, I'm a Jew. I am. Can't deny that. And Adalta Rebbe says in Tanya that the Mesiris Nefesh doesn't even make sense. You, you're talking that a person is going to do all kinds of averis. If you talk to them and say, even says here and this and this, yeah, I know, but you know, whatever, I, I can't control myself. But all of a sudden, when it comes to the idea, so leave it all behind, so declare you have no portion with, with the Jewish people, that he's not prepared. And this is the idea that reaches down to what we call in, in Yiddish, the Pintaliyid, the core essence of Jewishness. And Haman is the polar opposite of that. So Haman, who is the chutzpah belaytaga, Haman, who is the irrational anger and hatred of anti-Semitism, Haman, who is filled with an arrogance that has no basis, he can't stand the existence of a Jew. He sees he sees the pintal yid, his pintal amalek comes out. He sees a yid's connected to God, no matter what he does and how he paints himself or where she goes, they're still connected to God, amalek can't stand God. He can't stand the vestige of Hashem Alikei Yisrael, and therefore the Gezeda was an Am Mordechai. 
and again, it's amazing that the Pasuk says, Why? And Haman wants to kill all the Jewish people. The, the Pasuk says, Am Mardachai. Again, emphasizing the nation of Mardachai. See, with, with all this, something else interesting becomes understood. It says, the, the, in the Beauty Hagra, he says, What does it mean, Vayavakesh? What did he want? So first of all, Am Mardachai says the Beauty Hagra, She'eni kireya machmas yehudi. He said he's not bowing because he's a Jew. If he's not bowing because he's a Jew, they're all the same, he says. He's not bowing because of his learning, because of his observance, because of his position. It's because he's a Jew. He says, if it's because he's a Jew, it doesn't matter. They're all the same. They're all potential Mardachais. If they haven't been a Mardachai yet, they'll be a Mardachai tomorrow. He understood. This wicked man understood the essence of a Yid. Am Mardachai, again a second time. Say so he says, Am Mardachai says, the Gra, the Hainu Yehudim, Shvashvilkach, Lekara Mardachai. That's what Mardachai. What is the Gra saying? The Gra doesn't, he learned a lot of Kabbalah, doesn't speak in language of Kabbalah. His language, it's very exo, it's esoteric what he says over here. The esoteric message behind it is this Pintaliyid, this essence of a Yiddish and a Shama that refuses to give in. And I'll finish off with a, an, an interesting excerpt from actually an, an edited Sikha. The Rebbe said, it says, Bikesh Haman, Lahashmid is Kola Yehudim, right? Kola Yehudim, later on, this is in Pasuk Vav, but in Pasuk Yud Gimel, it's going to say, Minar va'adzokin, from a child to, to an old senior citizen. He didn't care. Hey, it's one guy named Mardachai. It's one man. It's not bowing to you. No, every name, from every, a baby, you're going you're gonna to tear apart little babies, kill little babies, for what? What did a little baby for you? So the thing is, the Rebbe says, Haman was a very smart man and he did his research and he came back and he said that the reason he's not bowing to me is nothing to do with Mordechai's personality. It's not a personal thing. It's ultimately, it's because of who he represents. He represents Am Yisrael. That's where he gets his strength from. He represents Am Yisrael, whether he represents a Jewish child or represents a senior citizen, he represents Am Yisrael. It's his Jewish essence that this is all about. So once they he's the representative of the nation, and they represent, and they and they are an embodiment of him. He understood the idea of Meishu Yisrael, Yisrael and Meisha, Rebbe is the people. The people are, he understood this. He says it's all the same, and if it's all the same, he said, it's not going to help me to get rid of Mordechai, because as long as his people are around, then he's around, like a tzaddik. He understood that. He said, therefore, it's the pintal yid. Pintaliyid, the essence of Jewishness, is found equally within all of them. And as such, he now moves forward into setting in motion his final solution. Which became, as we're going to learn, turned on its head. It became Haman's final solution. But this is where Haman now begins to hatch his plot. To be continued.